Hi, I'm Nikki. Let's take a look at some things that are coming up here at Crossroads. The Evansville Rescue Mission is having their annual Drumstick Dash on Saturday, November 12th. This is a great event that supports a local ministry and their efforts to reach the lost and broken right here in our community. They're having both a one mile and an 8K run walk starting at 8 a.m. at the Evansville Rescue Mission. To sign up, just go online to evansvillerescuemission.org. We have a fun two-day retreat planned for your fourth and fifth graders coming up on Friday, November 11th. It's a high energy weekend that allows your kids to grow with their friendships, but more importantly, with their relationship with God. Superstar will be in Louisville, Kentucky, and the first 25 that register will receive the early bird price of 75. After that, it'll be 95 per student, so be sure to register online at cccgo.com events. Have you been to My Crossroads yet? If you haven't, simply type cccgo.com slash mycrossroads into your browser and log in today. This website allows you to give your weekly offering online, register for events, see the church calendar, and interact with any groups that you're a part of. So what are you waiting for? Go to My Crossroads today and get started. For more information on these events and the many others that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check your bulletin or go online to cccgo.com. Hey Crossroads family, hope you guys are doing well. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. If you've been around here at Crossroads for quite some time, you may recall back in May how we launched and began a brand new vision uh, over the course of the next five years. Part of that vision, we want to plant a church in a large American city, uh, one church every single year for the next five years. Well, as we began doing our research and identifying which cities are uh, the least reached, which cities contain the most unreached uh, and, and unchurched people, uh, one of the cities that rose to the top rather quickly was none other than Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Brooklyn is home to about 2.6 million people, and uh, that's a part of our world that desperately needs uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, back in 2013, there was a couple, Brandon and Ty Watts, that was living in Philadelphia at the time. And, and it just so happened that God gave uh, Brandon a vision and a dream to uh, move his family from Philadelphia to Brooklyn to start a new church uh, that would be a light in the midst of a lot of darkness. And so that's exactly what they did. Brandon and Ty moved their two children, Jaden and Jeremy, uh, to start what is now called Epiphany Church. Brandon's actually here this weekend. He's going to be preaching, and uh, I am so excited uh, because he really models and uh, illustrates uh, what it looks like when we come together as the church. Uh, we have a vision for what God cares about most, and we sacrifice so that that vision uh, can be uh, reality. And so if you don't mind, right now, will you please welcome to the stage for the very first time here at Crossroads, Brandon Watts. Good morning, good morning Crossroads Christian Church. What a delight and honor it is to be uh, here with you this morning. Uh, as Patrick said, my name is Brandon Watts. I get the, the crazy auspicious opportunity to serve as the uh, church planter lead pastor at Epiphany Church in Brooklyn, New York. Our church solely believes that we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. Uh, Patrick talked a little bit about it in the video. Uh, it is a complex city, 2.6 million people over 80 different types of neighborhood. And if you add up all of the five boroughs of 
uh, of New York, you will find that there is over 9 million people in the city in which we serve. And uh, we're just glad to be able to join Jesus and, and play a small part in what he has been doing for decades and for centuries in our, uh, in our borough. Let me take this moment to uh, publicly say thank you to you, Crossroads Church. Your partnership for us has been uh, extremely beneficial and helpful to help us further push the gospel message in Brooklyn, New York. And let, let me just say to you that your reach has, has gone beyond just Evansville or Newburgh, but your reach has gone all the way into a borough where there are a ton of lost people that need to hear the gospel message about Jesus Christ. And so thank you to you. Let me also say, uh, yeah, you can clap. I'd also like to take a moment just to express my, my gratitude and just my public affections for, uh, for a few people. John uh, has, has been extremely uh, gracious to uh, just partner with us and, and be on our team, our management team. Todd has been great. Thank you, Todd and Pat and just so many others. The, the Brooklyn Task Force team that prays for us, you are an encouragement to us. And so uh, thank you to you. If you could grab your copies of God's Word, you could meet me in Acts chapter 8. If you have a physical copy, um, if you have your device, if you could meet me in Acts 8. Uh, if you have a physical copy, you're just a little bit more spiritual than the person that has their device today. <laughs> Listen, as you turn there, I am so anxious to, to get into the Word with you today. I'm, I'm also very glad to be able to join in your series on This Is What It's All About. As you guys have been journeying through the book of Acts. I'm just excited to be able to play a small part in that. The book of Acts is just such a profound book that shows how the Holy Spirit breathed and used uneducated men like the apostles to reach people with the gospel message, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so I'm glad I can play a small contribution. Acts chapter 8. Meet me in verse 26. I'll read, I'll announce our theme or our topic, and then I'll pray, and then we'll just, we'll dive in in our short amount of time together this morning. Verse 26 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Underline this phrase, if you will. This is a desert place. And he arose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official in Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and returned seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. You can underline this phrase as well. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran and heard him reading the, the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Now he's about to quote Isaiah 53 verses 7 through 8. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter and like a lamb that is before its shear, he is silent and he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and he baptized them, and they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Our last verse, verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and he preached the gospel to all towns until he came to Caesarea. I'd like to preach for a few moments on the topic entitled, Along a Desert Road. But if you guys would allow me to add a word or, or use as a subtitle, Evangelism Along a Desert Road. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for your kindness and for your faithfulness to us. Psalms 119.105 says that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And this morning, we are lost if we don't hear from you. We just would not have got up this morning and got ourselves ready, got ourselves dressed and made our way to church just to be entertained. But we actually come to hear from you and to worship your son, Jesus Christ. May the gospel be preached. May it be proclaimed. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. It is in Christ's name that we pray and give glory. Amen. My hope this morning is to push us in our time for us to understand that it is very important for us to participate in God's mission through evangelism. A church that does not understand evangelism is a church that doesn't understand the great commission given to the church in Matthew 28. Uh, in, in 1985, the city of New Orleans threw a huge pool party. It's a true story. Huge pool party. In this pool party, they invited over 100 lifeguards. Now, they were celebrating, and the celebration was this, that they went the entire summer in 1985 without one drowning in a public pool. Not even one. And so the city celebrated. This was the first time in the city of New Orleans that this happened. And so they celebrated. They had food. They had music. They had grills. They were having a pool party. All of these lifeguards were there. And this celebration towards the end of the night turned into a tragic event. At the end of the night, when they were cleaning out the pool, they looked at the far end of the pool and they saw a man floating in the pool. 31-year-old Jerome Moody drowned this day. Now, this is interesting because Jerome Moody drowned while he was surrounded by over 100 certified, trained lifeguards. My fear is that this could be the church. Could we be gathering together to celebrate successful seasons while a world around us is drowning in sin. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are ambassadors of Christ. And unfortunately, we've taken evangelism and reduced it to be just a ministry within the church. But according to the scriptures, evangelism isn't a ministry within the church. Evangelism is the church. It's a part of what we're supposed to do. And so where you do life, the coffee shops you go to, the grocery stores that you attend, uh, the, the places you go to school, the places that you dwell, the place, your neighborhood is all grounds for evangelism. Listen to me, crosswords, crossroads, we do not have to get on a plane and go to Uganda to be on a mission field to share the gospel. There are plenty of lost people right here in Evansville, right here in Newburgh, Indiana, that we could be reaching with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, evangelism in the scripture often gives us a distinguish between two types of evangelism. And so the first type of evangelism is an evangelism that uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon calls in his book, Lecture to My Students, as open-air evangelism. This is where you just preach the gospel and people respond and hear. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2, where Peter openly preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get added to the church. We also see it in Acts 3, where he's on Solomon's portico. He preaches the gospel 
and people come and be added to the church. Acts chapter 7, Stephen addresses the crowd and he preaches the gospel. And so open air evangelism is one way. But truth of the matter is, most of us in this room aren't going to interact in evangelism with open air. Like, you're not going to stand on the corner of Lincoln Avenue with a blowhorn and a sign that says Jesus is coming back. Most of us in this room won't do that. You know how we're going to evangelize and, and, and really participate in evangelism? We're going to do it like what we see in Acts chapter 8, one-on-one evangelism. In our text today, we see that Philip is engaging an Ethiopian eunuch, and it's just those two. And that's most of our evangelistic efforts. Let's walk through this scripture together. Now, Acts chapter, 26, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, starts out with a crazy crazy request for Philip. Look at what it says. Verse 26, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Look at this. This is a desert place. Now, why did I say this is a crazy request? Because ministry is actually going really well in Samaria. If you read the preceding verses in Acts chapter 8, you'll see that Philip is in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel and people are responding. You have people that are being baptized. The scripture is clear that the Holy Spirit is moving. Revival is taking place. So much so that Peter and John come down just to check out what's going out. The scriptures even go so far as to tell us that the crowds are paying attention. And anybody that preaches can get people to pay attention is an actual big deal. Ministry is going well. In fact, verse number 8 will tell us that there was much joy in the city of Samaria. And so things are going well. But an angel comes to him and says, leave where ministry is going well. Lots and lots of people are being saved. I want you to go to a desert and hear this for one person. Like get on your mind that you're leaving ministry where it's going well to go across into a desert where you're only going for one person. What we see here playing out is what Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus goes through three parables and it's like no transition within these parables. He just goes from story to story to story. It's almost like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like he doesn't have smooth transit. Y'all know who M. Night Shyamalan is? Like let's be honest, he hasn't made a good movie since Sixth Sense. That was the last good movie we've seen from M. Night Shyamalan, but his movies just go from, you know, transition to transition, transition. That's what we get in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, he walks through three parables, and the first two parables shows us how far God will go to reach one person. In the the first two parables, we see in the first two stories that Jesus tells, we see that Jesus talks about a a lost lost sheep where a shepherd that has a hundred sheep, he goes after one. We also see the lost coin. This woman, this is an interesting story. This woman has 10 coins. She loses one. Scripture says she rips the house apart. She throws out the furniture. She seeks diligently. She lights a lamp. She sweeps so she can find one coin. And what's interesting about that story is that she still has nine coins. So it's not like she's broke, but she's going after the one. Same thing with the lost sheep. The shepherd has 99 sheep. Why does he need to find this one? But the scripture says he leaves the 99 in the open field and he goes after this one. And when he finds it, he doesn't slap it. He doesn't reprimand it. He doesn't break his legs. The scripture says he throws it on his shoulders and brings it back to the fold. 
And so if you're in here and you're like, you know what? I think I'm just too far for the Lord. I can get lost in the, in, in the crowd because there's so many people that attend Crossroads. The truth of the matter is he'll leave the 99 to reach you. He'll rip the house apart just to find you. And that is what we see. We should find comfort in the fact that Philip is being told to leave Samaria where things are going well just to reach one person. Now watch Philip's response. Philip's response in verse number 27, the first five words, and he arose and went. This is interesting because you would think that Philip would say, God, are you sure things are going well in Samaria? Are you sure? He doesn't do that. What we see is immediate obedience. Immediate obedience is what we see from Philip. Philip is not questioning God. Before I got here, John was so gracious to send me an itinerary just so I knew what was going on this weekend. Our boy Philip doesn't get a pre-flight itinerary. It is not on his iCal app. It's not downloaded on his computer, on on his calendar. This isn't in his day timer. It's not in his journal. He has no clue when the Lord says go, and he does not question it. He doesn't gather people together and say, let's study the Greek and the Hebrew to see what this means. No, he just goes. He goes immediately, and many of us, what we want when it comes to evangelism, we want some mystical experience or some goosebumps, when the truth of the matter is, all we need is obedience to what God has already spoken in the Word. Matthew 28 isn't a suggestion. The Great Commission isn't a a good idea. This is Jesus giving a command to the church. And so if you want that mystical experience, all we have to do is read Matthew 28. And here's the truth. God may not be calling you to Africa, but he may be calling you to the person that lives next door to you. The person that is in the cube next to you at work, he might be calling you to them. Now, it, now we're going to get a description of who he is actually going after. Let's read through this in, in verse 27. And he arose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian This becomes very interesting. There's more happening in Ethiopia than just coffee. We get to see that the gospel now impacts an Ethiopian. Ethiopia is the central most eastern part of Africa. This is an African that is being engaged with the gospel. Now, this is important in the context in which I serve. The context I serve is 70% African-American, 70%. And so most of them, when you try to engage them with the gospel, they don't even want to get to the gospel because they think Christianity is some religion that was made up in Europe. But when I read the scriptures, it tells me that an African is being engaged with the gospel, which means that the gospel transcends race. Let me ask a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer this. When is the last time that you've shared the gospel with somebody that was outside of your race? When is the last time you've shared the gospel with someone who doesn't look like you and vote like you and think like you? Or let me go a step further. Has anybody in this room ever ever had an engagement with evangelism where someone shared the gospel with you that wasn't inside of your race? And so we get to see that in the text. But he's not only an Ethiopian. The scripture goes on and gives us more description. He's a eunuch. Now, eunuchs is interesting because eunuchs would have had no place. They were castrated males that could not reproduce. They would have had no place in Israel. No place in Israel. In fact, if you'll allow me to read an uncensored verse, this verse is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. If you don't like it, you can rip it out, but it'll be in another Bible when you pick up another one. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, very explicit verse says, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organs are cut off 
shall be able to enter the assembly of the Lord. So this Ethiopian would have been marginalized. He would have been ostracized. But he's not only an Ethiopian, he's not only a eunuch, but he's a Gentile. He's coming from worshiping in Jerusalem. Jerusalem temple would have had four courts. The, the outer court, the most furthest court, would have been the court of the Gentiles. He wouldn't have even been allowed in, yet the gospel is now going to impact him. Let's keep going in the, in the text. Verse 28, and he re, was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, notice that, that the Spirit now speaks to Philip. So the angel told Philip to go to this desert place. Now the Spirit is speaking to Philip. This is interesting because when it comes to evangelism, our evangelistic efforts must be influenced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be involved. And the Holy Spirit isn't some force from Star Wars. We don't get to boss the Holy Spirit around, but the Holy Spirit should boss us around. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, for this is debauchery or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The Greek word is plero, which literally means be being filled. And so I should constantly be going through life and filled with the Spirit. When I was uh, driving down the road one, one time in Brooklyn, I had a bag of trash in the back of my car. And in this bag of trash, I had a banana peel. You guys know, an hour, two hours after a banana peel sits in the garbage, it starts to have an odor. And so I'm starting to smell the garbage that's in the back of my car. And so I pull over into a Rite Aid and take that garbage out and I throw it into the garbage can. And when I do that, my eye catches a, a guy in the corner in front of Rite Aid that's a homeless person. Now, homelessness is a huge deal in uh, in, in New York in general, over 55,000 homeless people live in New York. And so sometimes you can just go through life and be numb to it. I see this homeless man and uh, something says to me, I don't know what it is. I'm normally not a spooky person, but something inside of me said, go speak to this homeless man. So I walk up to the homeless man and I just start talking, talking to him, having a conversation. And he says to me, do you have a dollar? Now this is payday. This is payday for me. I'm just, I don't know how y'all are. Payday, y'all know we don't get the small at Starbucks. We get the grande, we get extra foam, and we get caramel that day. You know, we go a little bit overboard. This day, I actually pulled out cash and had it in my wallet. And so when he asked me for a dollar, I don't know how much I had in it, but I can tell you, I flipped through 20s, I flipped through 10s, I flipped through 5s to give this man a one where the Holy Spirit arrested me and convicted me and said, man, give him everything in your wallet. And I'm like, Lord, are you, sh are you sure that's you or is that like a bad taco <laughs> I had for lunch? Is this you I'm hearing? And so I, I immediately take out everything in my wallet, don't know how much it was, and I give it to this man. You would think the Holy Spirit would have let up that day and he did not let up. He just continued to pound me. He says, now share the gospel with him. So I begin to tell him about Jesus. And when I'm done, I'm about to walk away to my car, still sad about the money that I pulled out. <laughs> the Holy Spirit doesn't let up still. The Holy Spirit is like, no, you, you need to pray with him now. And so I say, sir, can I pray with you? And he says, absolutely. And he sticks out his hand. Now, this is a homeless person. I, and I said to the Lord, I remember in my mind saying, Lord, I gave him everything in my wallet, but I'm just not going to hold his hand. I'm just not, not going to do that. The Holy Spirit reminded me that he holds my filthy hand on a consistent basis. In that moment, what was happening was the Holy Spirit was leading an evangelistic effort. It was not me wanting to do this. I would not have done it on my own. Let's keep going for the sake of time. Verse 30, 
29, and the spirit of the Lord said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you are reading? I love that because you can just hold your finger there. This is not confrontational evangelism. He didn't take the scroll and roll it up and hit him on his head because he was ignorant. He asked him a question. He's not leading with my theological positions all he's doing is simply concerned, and he asked him a question. Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip up to sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Isaiah 53 is what he's reading. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear, he was silent. He opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken up from the earth. This is interesting because what we see now is an Ethiopian eunuch reading an Old Testament prophet, and Philip has an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the eunuch from an Old Testament prophecy. Can, can I just suggest to you that every single prophet spoke about Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Remember when Jesus in Luke chapter 24, he's walking along the road to Emmaus. And as he's walking along this road, two of his disciples are there. This is after he died and before he ascended. He sees these two disciples and the Bible tells us that he does a Bible study with them. He actually sits and walks them through the scriptures. Verse 27 of Luke 24, it says, in beginning with Moses, and all of the prophets and all of the scripture, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself. And so he began with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what Moses wrote. Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. All of the prophets, every major and every minor prophet, Jesus says, all of the prophets wrote concerning me. And so what Philip does now is he has an opportunity to share the gospel and meet the eunuch where he was in Isaiah 53. And what he does in verse number 34 is interesting because the eunuch is confused if this prophecy is about Isaiah. Look at what it says. It says in verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does this prophet say this, about himself? So is this about Isaiah or about someone else? And so Philip's job now is to take the eunuch's attention off of the prophet and put it on Jesus. Can I tell you, all of the Bible is about Jesus. All 66 books, the Bible is 66 books, 1,189 chapters, written by over 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages, all about our King Jesus. And now we see Philip has an opportunity to share that. Now, verse 35 is the pinnacle of this story. This is the linchpin of this story. If you are writing in your Bible, underline this one, highlight it, take a picture of it, Facebook it, draw smiley faces, write a line out to the margin and put, wow, verse 35 is what evangelism is. Look at verse 35. We're going to get three elements of what evangelism is. Verse 35 says, then Philip opened his mouth. It is interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, to actually write the detail that he opened his mouth. What this means is that the gospel is not just a come look at my life. 
It is that. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. So your life should reflect the gospel. But evangelism is not just demonstration, but it's proclamation. He opened his mouth. There's a quote that says, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Listen, according to our text, it's necessary. That saying is like saying, feed the homeless, and if necessary, use food. It's necessary. And so Philip now opens his mouth. He gives a proclamation of what the gospel is. Look at the second element to evangelism. He began with the scriptures. My guess is that he started in Isaiah 53, and he used the scriptures. Now, this is practical. I came all the way from Brooklyn, New York, just to say this practical application here. If Philip started with the scriptures, that means that he actually had to be familiar with the scriptures. How many of us don't want to evangelize because we feel like, I don't want to get asked that one question that I'm not going to be able to answer. Listen, we have to be able to be familiar with our scriptures. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that a believer, a Christian, a Jesus lover does not get into the Bible. Before your feet hit the floor, before you brush your teeth in the morning, we should be reading the word of God. We should start our day off. And so Philip opens his mouth, second element of evangelism, he begins with the scriptures. What is the third element? The third element is probably the most important element. He told him the good news about Jesus. And so evangelism is not simply let me share my testimony. You know, your testimony is good. The Lord may have saved you from some crazy stuff. So listen, share your testimony. But evangelism, we have to get to Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. Now, what is the good news about Jesus? What's so good about Jesus? Well, before you can actually get to the good news about Jesus, we have to understand what the bad news about Jesus is. Not about Jesus, but what the bad news period is. You know what the bad news is? That you and I in this room are sinful people. I preached from Ephesians chapter 2 last week at our church in Brooklyn. And the first three verses don't start out too well for us. It tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins in which we all once walked in the course of this world. And it ends in verse three by saying, by nature, we're children of wrath. That means that you're not a sinner because you sin. That means you're a sinner because it's inherited. It's a part of who we are. That's why you don't have to teach babies how to snatch and say mine. We don't have to teach babies how to bite. We don't have to teach them how to say no and how to be selfish. It's ingrained in who they are. It was passed down to, from their father, father, from their father, all the way back to Adam in the original sin. So here's the bad news. We're all sinful people. Here's even worse news. God is holy and he's just. Can I tell you why that's worse news? Because I just, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that if we're sinful people and God is a holy and a just God, no sin can be in his presence. Not only that, but no sin can go unpunished. That's bad news for us. Here's the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus is that Jesus on the cross over 2,000 years ago took your sin. All of your sin, get that one sin on your mind that you probably didn't tell any about, anybody about. That sin, Jesus goes to a cross, absorbs the wrath of God that was due to you. He stands in your place. And now we're accredited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is good news that we get to stand before God the Father. This is good news. We now get to stand before God the Father and hear words like holy, 
blameless, spotless. Like think of you and think of spotless. Think of you and think of the words blameless. But that is exactly what we get when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so Philip would have shared not only the bad news with the Ethiopian eunuch, but he would have shared the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus Christ saves you. And so on your best day, you're not good enough. So if, that, if it's that day you want to stand before the Lord and pull out your list of good deeds, I'm talking that day you walked an old lady across the street, you had your what would Jesus do bracelet on, your John 3:16 shirt. Like that day you got up at five o'clock to pray and do devotion. That day you felt the most spiritual. You're still not good enough apart from Jesus Christ. That's the good news about Jesus, that we get to find our righteousness solely in him. The rest of the story goes on and tells us that Philip, after he preaches the gospel to him in verse 35, they're riding along the road and the eunuch sees water, which is interesting because they're in the desert. But he sees water and he says, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? I was so overjoyed as I was sitting in my seat watching Ezra and Grace get baptized this morning. Understand something, that Philip shares the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch doesn't take a 10-week baptismal class. He, he doesn't have like five interviews in order to be baptized. He spontaneously responds to the gospel and says, there's water. Put me in the water. Now, Philip's job is done here. Philip gets taken away in some mystical way, and he ends up in Azotus, and he's preaching the gospel there. Although Philip's job is done, our job is not. Once we share the gospel with somebody, once they come to know Jesus, once we see them baptized, then we must walk with them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. It's called discipleship. We must walk closely with them. Now, if you're in this room as I'm landing our plane here this morning, if you're in this room and you're saying, well, that's Philip. Like, he's an apostle. He probably should chew that. I'll, I'll let the pastors of the church evangelize. I don't have to evangelize. Hear me, Philip is a regular, ordinary person. He's not an apostle. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 21, it tells us that Philip is an evangelist. That's his title. He's an evangelist. And every Christian in here that has trusted in Jesus, we are all have the same title. We all should be participating in what evangelism is. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that you would walk out of here, go back to the places that you dwell and you do life and consider when is the last time I actually shared this life-changing message with someone else? Let me just tell you as I end here, when it comes to a restaurant, my joy, if it's a good restaurant, you know, like a really good one, my joy isn't fulfilled when I finish the meal and I say, man, this was great. My joy is actually fulfilled when I go tell somebody else how great that meal was. And I tell them, hey, you need to go try that restaurant. And they come back to me and tell me about that restaurant. That's when I pray that that is our joy, that we would be fulfilled not only in the fact that we heard the gospel, but that someone else heard it. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are confessing our need for more evangelism in our life. I think I speak on behalf of the entire room when I say, Father, we need boldness. We need clarity of thought. Pray that we would be able to do what verse 35 says, that we would open our mouth. We begin with the scriptures and we tell people the good news about you. Truth of the matter is you came and saved us, transformed our lives, and changed everything about us. And this morning I pray, oh God, that you would help us to see that fruit in someone else's 
life. It's in Christ's name we pray and give glory. Amen. Thank you, guys.